Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co-host, Chris. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. Chris. What up, man? He almost has more sobriety than you. Almost. And he's and he's not an old crotchety man. <laughs> Neither am I. I didn't say you were. <laughs> I just said sometimes you get the guys, you know, in their 70s that have kind of run that course. But um, uh, Devin and Jocelyn, just such a light about them. Yeah, right. That, that was why when I... So I first met him when he and I were going... We were leaving on a Friday night to go drive out to Colorado to climb... Our first 14, well, my first 14er, um, over a clip, excuse me, a peak over 14,000 feet out to Colorado. Drive out Friday night with him, and he shares part of his story with me. And I'm like, So when are you going to be on the podcast? He's like, I didn't, I didn't even think about it. I'm all, Well, let's go, man. Like, you totally need to be on the podcast. And he was all, even today, he texted me, he's like, Well, I just, I just kind of worry that my, my story's not big enough. Because I, I hear all these, you know, big stories on the podcast and I'm like, you know what? It's not even about how big your story is. You will provide hope for other people. Are you a child of God? Yes. Then it's a big story. Yep. I'm so all, to, every, you. to every Devin out there that thinks your story isn't big enough to matter, you're wrong. Go ahead and send us an email. In particular, I want you to send the email to Jeremy at unashamed unafraid who does all of the scheduling so please flood his inbox with all of you and i know there's someone else listening right now that's like oh he's talking about someone but he's not talking about me no i'm talking about you so i invite you to be here and just some some real nuggets and also to name that sometimes recovery is a, a red parting sea giant glorious moment but then there's also the consistencies in the days to days. And so all of those are in this episode. We invite you to be here. Um, and, and just the honesty and the raw, and that, that's the movement that we invite you to come here and be a part of, is to truly be unashamed about not just the story of sexual addiction recovery, but of your story, of your pain, and invite you to engage with them. Be un, unafraid to come unto Christ. And so um, please enjoy this episode here. Um, an amazing couple, an amazing story, um, friends of Chris. And uh, if there's any way that we can help you, invite you to go to unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarships, which are available and you can donate to join us in the bonus content. They share some awesome things about their sexuality, some of the recovery tools that Devin uses. Um, that's for our outsiders who are bold, accepted, and unashamed, our community who are helping us spread this message, spread hope into the world. Um, unashamedunafraid.com slash donate. Follow us on social media at unashamedunafraid, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, what everyone doesn't know is we were just vibing to some Christian hip hop music, rocking music. Yes, I so guess it's not really rocking because it's rapping music. Zanti, God taught me praying hands, Ty Bizzle. So um, listen to both those. Devin, what's up? Hey, Steven, how you doing? So good. How are you, Jocelyn? How are you? I'm great. How are you? And the Hulk of Hope. I'm here. Woohoo! Always. So um, I feel like we already connected in this in this heart space before. Uh, Devin was asking me about my necklace, and we we then the music, and we we're getting into it. So it's all a thing. So um, 
I'm assuming this is the the good vibes and just the light that you guys have right now. I'm assuming it wasn't always like this for you. Yeah, not always. Just uh, it's been growing into our lives progressively over the last 10, 11 years or so. But uh, there was a time where we were both, um, well, I don't know, I can't speak for Jocelyn, but I was very much a fragmented person, uh, a zombie in my worship and in my relationships uh, because I felt like if I truly showed up, I would not be loved. And so. So tell us when that, when that started for you, when that separation, when that zombieing, where, where did you get your zombie education? <laughs> I, I got it growing up um, because I'm, I'm a very much a people pleaser. And so as a child, I've discovered that I could get attention. I grew up in a large family. Um, What's your definition of a large family? Eight kids. Okay. So, um, and all very close together, two, maybe three years apart. And I'm four of eight. And so Mm -hmm. I was in the middle of the chaos. And now as a parent, I recognize that a lot of days as a parent, you're just trying to make it through and make sure your kids are fed, clothed, whatever. Um, And that many children... But still, every human being needs um, love and attention. Um, But I found that if I just tucked my head down and gave um, grown-ups what they wanted to see, that I could could get positive attention and reinforcement and find value or worth in that and and ground. And I essentially started to ground myself in that. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us kind of, uh, growing up years, um, in the big family, religious folks, not yes. religious folks. Yeah. Very religious. They made sure to make it clear to me that they had, uh, faith in and trust in God. And, um, their intention was to instill that in me and, and they did. And, um, but yeah, as a, as a child though, I, I felt like that had to look a certain way. And frequently as a child, um, when I would misbehave or one of my children would misbehave, uh, a common expression um, from one of my parents is, what do you think the people here, like say it's in the grocery store, would think of what you're doing or what do you think the neighbors would think? And so there, this all of a sudden became this, um, God is in the judgment of other people. Mm. And so, uh, in order for me to have God's approval, I need others' approval. And I'm sure that wasn't the intention of my parents in in saying that. Um, probably just teaching good citizenship, you know, respecting and loving your neighbors. But that's how I I took it, and that's how that's the narrative that I started to tell myself. And so, and um, a lot of this sort of uh, came to a head in one experience where um, every Saturday we'd have chores that we'd have to do. And sure. typically happened in the afternoon. And one time, uh, my dad must have had a really rough day. And he, he threw this bulky um, rocking airplane across the room. And it flew by me. And it smashed and, and broke. And in my mind, I was like, I made my dad that mad. 
Mm. And I never want to make my dad that mad again. And so that's, that was like one pivotal experience where I went from uh, pleasing God to pleasing others. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Or that version of God through, yes. through others, as you said yeah. so beautifully, right? So when, when, was, when was first exposure for you to addiction behavior as an option to deal with all this? So I guess the most clear, the most clear first experience was it was in, it was in the seventh grade, the friend group I got in, you know, you could see the science coming, dirty jokes, sort of obsessive talking about sexual things. And for me, it felt like a place where I could finally ask the questions because curiosity is one of my core values. And I, but I also had this thing where I didn't want to upset my parents, upset my, and I knew that this was something that would possibly upset them. So why risk it? My friends are talking about it all the time. So I'll just ask them or learn about it through there. And so one, one night we were hanging out and uh, my friend said, hey, my, my brother could probably get us a Playboy. They went, to the, they went to get the Playboy and I said, I don't want anything to do with this, just drop me off. But I didn't change. I still hung around them. Mm-hmm. And eventually, curiosity being one of my core values, they obviously talked about what they did. And so eventually I, I, I looked at the Playboy and that was my first exposure to pornography. And, um, but the roots of that, as we discussed, were being yeah. laid yeah. Um, because it wasn't about the pornography. It was about the, the, the relief or the escape that it provided from all these pressures. And, and again, it, it appealed to this core value of core curiosity. Yeah. So now give us the fast forward at height of an addiction, at height of addiction. What did that look like for you? Um, it was very secretive. And, um, so, you know, seventh grade, there wasn't very much online access as it goes on. Online access becomes easier and so, um, and it's hard to say a, what the height of my addiction was because it was more like waves. Like it, it became really bad uh, by the time I was 17 um, and I really had a desire to serve a mission. So I, I did clean it up. I served an honorable mission. I come back. Um, first serious girlfriend that I break up with, I start dealing with things like loneliness and boredom. Um, I don't know if you heard the acronym blast for triggers, mm-hmm. bored, lone, angry, stressed, tired. Um, and, and I relapse back into it. Um, but it's not full blown pornography. And so I'm able to justify it and be like, Oh, this isn't pornography. This like, isn't hardcore. This is not hardcore. It's, it's not even like uh, full nudity, you know, it's like, but I was still seeking with the attention of arousal, escaping, avoiding uncomfortable feelings. And, um, and so then I finally go uh, talk to my bishop, clean it up, meet my wife, Jocelyn. We get married. Hi, Jocelyn. Hi. Nice to be here. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, fast forward, we have our first, all within like two weeks, we have our first baby. I get a new job and we move. I mean, you talk about the three most stress causing events in your life, all stacked up. And so... Uh, to escape, I go back to pornography again. It's 
it's not full nudity, but it is designed to arouse. And so it's, it's pornography. Um, and so, but at this point, this is, this is probably where the height of my shame occurred because let's name that because I had made, you know, all the covenants in the church I had. So which church? Uh, the church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day Saints. Okay, so, great. Um, uh, you make your most sacred covenants in the temple where you, where you have certain ordinances and, um, and those are treated most seriously. Like we try to make sure that people are prepared before they make these promises. And I thought I was, and, uh, and I, maybe I was, but either way, I, I violated those promises I made not only to God, but also to my wife, Jocelyn. And so, um, and that was really shameful to me because I really value and cherish my wife. And, um, and it was, um, I just didn't, this is where the savior complex came in, where it's like, I need to protect my wife from knowing that this ever happened because the pain that it would cause her would, would destroy me. And so ultimately I'm really just trying to protect myself. Sure. And so, um, I, I was like, I'm just going to clean this up between me and Jesus and move, move on. And that formed an isolation cycle where I could willpower my way through a month or two, mm-hmm. but then relapse, willpower my way through a month or two relapse. And then you know, that, that persisted for a couple of years until um, well, so I'm, I'm going to slow you down a little bit here because okay. I want I want to bring Jocelyn into the story. Yeah. So tell us what um, and, and Devin talked about this. So I want to I want to put you both on the same page. Who was God for you in your growing up formidable years? God for me was um, one of the most imp- well, the most important part of my life. From a very young age, I was so inclined to please Him and to have him be the center focus of my life. And I wanted to be like Jesus. And I, I saw myself in the Book of Mormon a lot of, um, in, as the characters. And I was for sure Nephi with my older brothers, Laman and Lemuel. I mean, he, I was just, I was so righteous. And, you know, um, I, but I just, I just wanted to be good. I wanted to um, be um, close to God. I, I felt happier when I was doing things that, um, like, like reading scriptures and, um, serving others. I just wanted to be with him, I guess, on a daily basis. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. And so how did you two meet? We were, (laughs) we were in the same ward. We were, um, you guys, it's extra cheesy. I was the Relief Society president, and he was the um, Elders Corn president. But before that, we don't actually remember meeting. Yeah. But we were we were in the same ward, but that's how what brought us together. Aww. I know. So um, disclosure happened. You knew, you know, some of his struggles before getting married, or you didn't know? Yeah, how before did that happen? we, uh, as we got more serious and we're talking about marriage, he told me, and he what did he tell you? He told me that he has had a problem with it. So I don't think he recognized that he had an addiction at that point. And I was working at a um, 
Addiction Recovery Center. And so I, it was kind of on my radar, but I'm also a really trusting person. And, I, and at that point, I saw him uh, going to meetings and he'd come home with his notebook and he'd be so excited to tell me all the things about it. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I, I saw him just on his game. And so I didn't recognize it either. I, I think I didn't want to even have that on my my radar um and it was more on my peripheral i i did very much present it as like hey this is a problem that i've had meaning historical historical yes so then when you were were you just going through the motions of doing the homework stuff that whether she was talking about how you brought everything home and you're like working on the assignments or were you doing that really for you for your healing yeah they're all throughout like there were times when i was dormant in acting out in my addiction and I was very fulfilled in my, in my worship and in my relationships. And I was very engaged and alive in it. But then, as I described, things happened and I would like recede back. Yeah, actually, after when he was acting out without my knowledge, I told him, I said, you tricked me. Because you, when we were dating, you were so on fire. You were learning so much. You were anxious to... Uh, grow your testimony but then afterwards it was like hey we were going to church and we were you know doing the things and I would tell him things that I'd been learning in in my personal study and he would just kind of like oh awesome and it it didn't go further than that it just kind of fell flat Hmm. so Mm -hmm. I was like wait was that just a joke so so how did disclosure happen for you after you guys got married so did it kind of like leak out a little bit? You caught him? Like how did, how did you get to that moment? So we watched a movie called Hope Floats. It's a super sappy, sad, romantic movie. movie from the 90s. No, it's awful. It's awful. It's terrible. <laughs> but it has this one redeeming quality in that at the end, this, this guy has an affair and leaves um, Sandra Bullock, whatever character she was playing in there. And the daughter is just he's throwing his stuff in the car and he's driving away and the daughter is just crying and screaming, daddy, come back, daddy, come back. And I had two daughters at that point. And in that moment, something outside of myself, I call it the Holy ghost told me that will be you if you don't stop. And it wasn't even just like as if it was told me. It was like as if it was shown to me. Like in no, it, if there's one time in my life where I was certain about a spiritual experience, it was here where I knew where I would be in, I don't know how much time, I'd be that guy driving and leaving. The most treasured things that have ever happened to me in this life. And so... The next day at work, I go in and I know that if I don't write out everything that I've been doing, that I will not be complete in my disclosure. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be complete. I, I wanted that, like I was done. And so I wrote it all out, got home. I was super scared. I, I waited till we had the kids to bed. And I just basically said, here, you need to read this. 
Yeah, he hands me this note, and I was like, what is this, seventh grade? He and didn't so, even give you any kind of a... Nope, it was just, hey, here's a note. Nope. Here, read away. Yeah, it was just this note, so I was kind of giggling like, oh, I love being back in junior high, and I open it up, and... and I don't like being in junior high yeah, now. Yeah, I'm like, oh, junior high is awful. was terrible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I never want to go back. Why are we back there? And it was terrible, and I... But I also had... Um, this grace given to me immediately where I could see Devin as, um, as a son of God that was striving to fix things. And he was very vulnerable and open. And it just kind of clicked for me where I was like, oh, okay, the, these other things make sense of why he was dead inside. Mm. Or why his spirit was just numb. So um, it wasn't, I didn't have a big freak out. Devin was sure I was going to kick him out. And we we just kind of paused. And we were trying to figure out, like, okay, well, this is happening. So what are we going to do now? And I needed to see something externally happening. I needed to see him going to a meeting or meeting with our bishop and to see that process. Bishop's like pastor, congregation, right. leader. Yes. yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just needed to see that because I couldn't gauge his internal, where he was internally with his heart. So what what was that like for you, Devin, where, where she, did she totally react how you expected her to or way different than what you expected? No, not at all. I was prepared, like she said, that like to, to, kick, to, to kick, you out. kick me out and be like, I'm done with this relationship. You haven't been showing up for a number of years and now you, you hand me this. And so I had to mentally prepare myself and accept whatever outcome would come, whatever choice she wanted. And she would be, in my mind, I was like, I, I deserve whatever, whatever comes. What did that do for your heart? Because you were probably like so scared to like pour all this stuff onto her. I'm going to get kicked out. And then she totally is different. So then what did that do for your heart in like how you felt towards her, God, and where your situation was? Honestly, it was probably the best reaction she could have had. Like if she would have reacted differently, I could have been crushed and I already was self-shaming and self-punishing uh, uh, so much that just on top of that, it would have just buried me. So how long ago was this? Hmm. It's been about 10 and a half years since that day. So everything was magical after that and... Perfect. No slips. Everything's good to go. (laughs) No, that's where it got rocky. Um, So tell us about that. So I saw Devin go into meetings and he'd come home. Just, I could see hope in his eyes. And at that point we were kind of on the outside. We looked like we had it all together. Like we were the ones that could serve other people and be the ones that could come early or stay late and, help wherever necessary. And we were so broken at that point, but I started to see Devin having hope and I just sunk deeper and deeper. And so 
it got to the point where I didn't want to keep up that facade anymore. It was too painful to just pretend like everything was fine because I hadn't talked to anyone about it at that point. So so were you going deeper and deeper because he was continuously acting out or just you were finally like letting everything set in? I think I was just letting everything set in. It was just, um, I was went through stages of my pain. I think I got over the shock and I, I, I just, um, yeah, just felt the hurt deeper and I could think things through more where I could see more long-term implications. I could see that where I could, where we could end up because again, my training in, um, addiction is like, there are so many options of where this could go. If, if he doesn't choose to change and I was getting angry with God, like I, I try really hard to stay close to the spirit. Like at any point he could have told me like, Hey, this is happening. And I recognize now that it was for, we both needed Devin to come forward and say that to own it himself without me catching him, um, for his, his own well-being. But yeah, I was super angry and hurt. Yeah. I think at one point she said to me that, um, I don't know if I can have any more kids with you because she's just, you know, it was, it was too uncertain and I hadn't demonstrated, uh, any sort of trustworthiness in, you know, uh, in recent time. And so, uh, you know, it's like, that's, that's sort of where she was at. She was just like, I don't, I don't know what our future will even look like together. And so, and, and so for me, um, that could have been really destabilizing, but, when I started going to the meetings, um, it really grounded me and helped. What, what meetings did you go to? Um, support groups. Um, there are 12 steps, addiction recovery programs. So, um, and really what made, made it work is um, the people that would show up. And I remember about two months in, I was just really struggling. I was probably more like willpowering it through. And then, this newcomer shows up and he's um, separated from his wife, has all of these things going on. And it was just so good for me to, that he showed up because we would talk afterwards and I'd tell him like what I'm struggling with and where I'm going. And he's like, well, let me tell you what that's going to look like if you decide to give into that, like these things. Cause I did this for, you know, 40 years and, this is where we're at. And like, I don't know if I'm going to get my marriage back. And, and so, I mean, the program and I, God like placed those people to where I could have those connections with somebody who could give me the, the gut check, the reality check when I needed it. And well, so, I, I'll go ahead. I say, so, so tell us, so we're in this, this kind of limbo, right? Where you guys are like kind of doing the, recovery dance here right like I'm mad and I'm like kind of just you know trying to keep serving and keep doing the thing and all life's in the way but like this isn't okay and you're you know hey I go to meetings and you know it's off and then it's on it's off then it's on so how did you get out of that cycle of yeah, you know, I'm I'm in recovery and there's enough honesty that we're in recovery and 
I'm I'm taking it seriously, but it's not changing, right? The dynamics, the relationship with God. So how to change? Yeah. So first I had to decide that I'm not recovering to keep my wife with me. I'm recovering because I want to live a more fulfilling and deeper and richer life than I have been living, a more holistic life where I'm not fragmented as a person anymore, where I have to put devote mental energy to, um, to when's the next time I'm going to act out when, or how am I going to hide this time that I acted out? And then, Oh, what, Oh yeah. What does Jocelyn want to see me doing? Okay. I need to be that person too. And then, Oh, what does, what does my congregation or my social network want me to be doing? Oh, I need to be that person. Um, and so I had to decide, and this happened early on when I started my recovery it was like, I'm going to recover and whatever happens and whatever Jocelyn decides to do, she's going to do that. And I'm, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to figure out how to live a more holistic life. So how did you make that change? Cause I feel like what you just described is you're like, yeah, I decided to learn how to fly. Yeah. That was really great for me. And so now that I fly, it's a lot better. Yeah. But so some of us like, wait, what? Like, how did you move out of like doing it for her and the validation and like, like what caused you to, as you described, like, no, I want a richer life for myself. Like, how did you shift that perspective? The key is, well, for me, it was acceptance. Like, when I first started in recovery, it was always like, oh, how can I avoid relapse? How can I avoid relapse? I don't want to relapse. I don't want to relapse. And then finally... And you relapse. Yeah, and, and you relapse. Because like, like, it's like you're walking along like a, a cliff ledge and you're like, oh, don't fall down, don't fall down. But you're looking at it and you're just, you're falling into the pit, you know? And so um, that, that in itself is a form of obsession, right? Like I'm obsessing about what, about acting out or viewing pornography by think, think about not doing it. And so, and so it just, so I, and so it just came through, I was, a, I was immersing myself in the, in the program. I was working the steps. I was doing, uh, there was like little workbooks that you could do. And so I just had to uh, regularly do things that sort of shifted um, and brought greater intention to what I was devoting my mental energy to. And so uh, that came through writing. It came through little prompts in the workbook for the 12 steps. It came through uh, discussions after meeting, in meetings, in support groups. And after I did that for a few months, I remember in one meeting just being like, I don't care if I relapse. If I relapse, I can accept that. But if I give up and don't try again after relapsing, that's really what I'm afraid of. And so as soon as I accepted the fact that relapse is a possibility, that's when I could really let go of it. I, I dropped the rope in the tug of war, so to speak. That's when it loses its power. Right. It can't tug on me if I'm not holding the rope. But if I'm over here, like, yeah, I don't want to go over there, but I'm still holding on to the rope. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. Devin is so methodical and very thorough. And so whatever he does is thorough. That was not what I did. Um, I, I had to, I, I got really angry, as I mentioned, and I just started running. Like, literally, I would wake up as early as I could. I, I'd 
And I just would run until I wasn't so angry anymore. Mm -hmm. And then I could mm -hmm. listen to God. But um, so I started training for marathons because I was that angry. But one morning I was... Um, <laughs> like, I got a lot of miles. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing this anyway. Might as well do a race. But I, um, one morning I was running really early and I was running around this lake that I'd never been to. And I, the sun started coming up. And it was, as I could see light, I looked down on the trail and there was just like duck poop everywhere and everywhere I stepped. And I was, and I just thought, this is so typical of my life right now. Like it's just crap everywhere. And I was just so angry. And then I just um, had the thought to look up and right over the tree line was just the most gorgeous sunrise. And I just had my heart soften so quickly that that God is just right there, just above the crap, that we that I can just call on Him if I just look up. And that was a turning point for me. That's where I pivoted to um, not be so hurt and angry. I still was, but I that was my point where I saw hope. And, um, that's, and I started going to the support group, um, the family support group meetings and started talking to more people because I stayed isolated for, um, several months. I started talking to close friends and family that I knew I could trust and just enlarge my web of support that began my healing. But I also didn't, Devin is such, has such a tender heart and he didn't want to hurt me anymore. And so I kind of shelled up towards him. I didn't want to hurt him anymore. And so I kind of lived a shell of my life after he, while he was in recovery and didn't start um, my work till a couple years later when I'm just like, I don't even know who I am anymore. I just have a, a bunch of little kids and I don't even, I don't laugh very much. I'm, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Because so. you're running so much. Nobody yeah. laughs when they're running. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's where I'm free. <laughs> but yeah, it, so I had to cut everything back. And I realized I only know like four things. And I knew I loved God. And I knew I loved Devin. And I knew I loved nature. And I, I knew that I loved running. And um I'm like, everything else, I don't even know if I love my kids right now because they just, you know, they always need. And <laughs> we had four little kids at that point, but... Um, little kids are hard. Little kids are hard. Sure. So, so, yeah. so you found God in running. So, Devin, where, where do you find God? I, I find God in nature and in knowledge. Those are the two key places where I find it. And going back to Stephen's earlier question is, I'm a researcher. I'm curiosity again is one of my core values. So how do I turn this curiosity that was being manifested in my pornography addiction to, to a strength, something that can strengthen, enrich, um, and, and enrich me. And I basically just became hungry to read and learn anything I could about the psychology of pornography, of addiction and specifically a sexual addiction. And so uh, that was one way that I found God. I felt like the more information I could cram into my head, uh, it's basically the more tools in the toolbox that the spirit could pull out 
in at a time to be like, oh, remember how you read this strategy? Remember how uh, someone shared this in a meeting? This is try employing this now to see if that can help you in this in this like moment of weakness and and then and then nature was is key to that's where I feel the most grounded is getting getting in into and around rocks, trees, whatever it is. Yeah. Well, and I think it's beautiful, you know, what you named, because I think oftentimes, and on the podcast, right, we share oftentimes people have these big experiences, you know, like Jocelyn, like you just shared, like, and, poof, and there's this God moment, you know, and for me, my life's been a little bit that way, that it's like grind, 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 and like, oh, right. Um, but I think, um, right, the consistency of that relationship and that, you know, we often, you know, a day at a time and letting things like, things do change fast, but I think, you know, um, and I think I highlight this because I think it's a different from my story and your story is um, that actually all the stuff does work. The journaling, mm-hmm. the programs, like it works. And, and sometimes it's, letting through that consistency, the perspective flush out and show up. Um, and I think that's something a lot of people get frustrated with because it's like, but I've been to two meetings a week for the last three months and I haven't had the ah moment. <laughs> and so I, I just want to curious, like, did you ever have times like that as you kind of had this incremental change in your life as opposed to a Red Sea parting moment you know, which you've had, had several that you shared on here, but like that can, did, did you ever get discouraged in that? And how did you manage to stay the course? I, I often say that in recovery, consistency is more important than intensity. Mm-hmm. I was, I was a sprinter and I, I, I sprinted in my life. Basically I would burn myself out to the point where I needed to do something to find escape and that was acting out. And, um, and so, and so, yeah, for me, it was about consistently paving a a new way of thinking, remapping the, and the neural network in my brain and, and showing that I could, if I hacked my way through this forest, I could eventually become a trail, which then could become a, a freeway with enough, time and patience. And, and like I said, the, the key thing for me was that I had people telling me when I was stuck that mm-hmm. like, this is what it will look like if you decide to stay stuck. And so then, and there was many times where I literally went through the motions. Like I was just going through the motions, but, um, I love this, um, thought that was shared in, in one of the psychology podcasts I listened to. And they said, you don't, you don't think your way into a new way of being you act your way into a new way of being. Mm. And so you can ruminate and think inside your head about all these things you're going to do different. And, but until you actually try to implement something different, it doesn't really stick. And so at least for me, and so a lot of times movement or action would lead to those red sea parting moments. And so just taking a step forward in faith that I'm not really sure if I'm going to do this right, or if I'm going to mess it up, but I'm going to try it and you try it enough times and then you have those moments. See, I love that because it just goes to show like you have to put some work into this. You can't just be like, Oh, I, somebody tells me what to do. And then, Oh, I I know about it, but I don't have to really do any work for it. And then six months down the road, 
I'm still talking with that same guy and he's still in the same stuck position. And I'm like, well, have you done this and this? And well, no, I, you did tell me about that before, but. Or, or like, or like I did, but it didn't work. And it's like, well, it takes the first time is usually messy and hard and, and we mess up. And the second time too, the fifth time, the hundredth time, but like each time we're getting better. And so. It takes us sometimes to mm-hmm. stay. Well, and even the children of Israel had to actually leave Egypt and go to the edge of the Red Sea. Right? Like they were still walking. They had to right? do something. Had to do something. So tell me, so been on this, right, decade and change long journey. So tell us about your sobriety now. So at first the sobriety was don't act out. Like that was... Number one, meaning don't look at porn, don't look at pornography, don't seek it out. Yeah. Um, if you happen, if it happens to come across you because it, it ha- that's you know, life, that's life, right. just turn away, do something else, you know. Yeah. And so that's where it started, and then it became more about over time about what do I want to create in my life, uh, not so much about what do I not want in my life, but what, what do I want to make of my life. Mm-hmm. And so sobriety now looks about looks like being in, intentional in where I put my energy, my time, mm-hmm. and attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, not just being don't like, know. don't fall off the cliff. What does it look like to you? I don't. I, I'm having well, a hard time. Thinking so about sorry. This. That's why I want to be clear. Is like, what's the what sobriety look like now with porn, masturbation? Okay. Uh, yeah. So just that, just that it's like, I, so there's this great analogy that you don't have to slay the dragon. You just have to walk away. And now, you know, at first it was like, I was staring at that dragon trying to just chop its head off. And, and then it was like, okay, yeah, I'm a few steps away from the dragon. Like it's there, but I, I know I got some distance. Now it looks like it's, it's over the river and through the woods and past grandma's house. Like it, I can, uh, I can see myself, like at any point, if I become unintentional, I can travel that trail really fast. Sure. I, I know that trail. Um, but I also can know, I can also spot a lot further back when I'm walking down that trail. Like, it's not like when like the urge is on me and it's just like, you have to look like it's so compulsive. Like, what? Now I'm at grandma's house. I don't yeah, know how like, I got how here. How did I get here? Right. right. And that's how it was for a long time. Sure. You know? But now it's like, oh yeah, I remember that if I um, am by myself and I'm feeling lonely and um, I don't have much anything to do, um, step one, right? Better get intentional about Uh, who could I reach out to? What could I do? How could I get some accountability? And and so that the action's taken, you know, after a couple steps down that path. Yeah, yeah. So. Sober a week, sober a month, sober years. For me? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sober 10 and a half years. So when did the trust change for you? For me, I had to just build trust on Christ. And I needed to just have Christ hold our relationship. I felt that it could heal if he continued to be humble in his and have the active desire to want to be better, to change, to continue to repent, 
um, acknowledge his mistakes and be transparent. Um, I wasn't there yet, so it it took me a couple of years where I was able to emotionally trust him again to be able to share my heart more than just surface. And um, but yeah, I I needed to build on Christ for a while until I felt like he we kind of shared the burden, Christ and I, until um, it was probably about five years later where I was ready to just completely give that burden of. Um, of mis- of uncertainty to Christ. And um, I don't have, I still have triggers. Um, You're still human. Yeah. Right. Just like, just like Devin talked about, right. The foot stepping down that path. Right. But I love you sharing that because, and particularly because you have so much sobriety in your story. Right. I think oftentimes a lot of people in recovery are like, Oh, well, if I was just sober, then like it'll all be healed and whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's so many more deep layers to that, um, which we're totally going to jump into, into our bonus content. But as we close time here, the one question I want to ask both of you is um, what would you tell people as, right, as you guys have had this shifting of really how you trust God in your relationship um, to people who might still be on the other end of that, of like, I don't know what these guys are talking about. This sounds like hocus pocus. I don't feel like this is real. And Devin, we can start with you. What is it that you would tell people who like are like, yeah, yeah, God, whatever, an emotion and it feels good and heal. Like just, you know, I have a tough time believing that. What, you know, if you were to give them was the one thing you would tell them? The one thing I would say is you can't just numb one thing in your life. My whole goal in acting out in my addiction was I just wanted the bad feelings to go away, the uncomfortability, the discomfort, the, the shame, the, the, um, and, but what I was doing is I was shutting out the joy, the happiness. Jocelyn talked about it. I was, I was um, not the person she met because I wasn't who I am. And if you want to know who you truly are, you have to rid yourself of the distortions and the lies that enter through acting out on your addiction. Yeah. And... I tell people this when they first start. It's like, you don't even know who you truly are. Because for me and many others, the distortion started young, right? And and I didn't know who I was. I was still a developing teenager child when I got into this. And, and uh, there's nothing more exhilarating than one of the false beliefs being pulled back and you get a glimpse of the glorious person that you are. And uh, just discover how glorious you are. Don't settle for just okay. And Jocelyn, for you, to that woman who's not believing, what would you tell her? Um, I learned at a personal level that Christ really has carried all of our burdens and felt our pains. And I know that he is a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And as 
I turned to him in my grief and sorrow. I learned not that I, more than just I know that Jesus Christ lives, but I learned to know Jesus Christ. And that is worth the struggle, the wrestle to find peace and solace to work through that pain, whether wherever you need to work through that, with a therapist, with some good running shoes, um, or with a, a spiritual um, religious leader, that Christ really does, he really is acquainted with our grief. And so, um, thank you, I mean, just for sharing the truth that you found. And um, as you know, we have everyone in their episode with a song that's reflective of their story, their journey, where they are now, and what it means. So for you guys, um, the song um, for you. He's going to sing it for us. Yeah, I'm going to sing it. Um, so for, for me, and you'd say for you too, mm-hmm. is... Is there's a song by I Am They, Scars. Oh, and that'll rip your heart out. Yeah, but it, it really echoes what I truly believe, having gone from one side of it to the other. Um, is it says in here, darkest water and deepest pain, I wouldn't trade it for anything because my brokenness brought me to you and these wounds are the story you'll use. So I'm thankful for the scars because without them, I wouldn't know your heart. And I know they'll always tell of who you are. So forever, I am thankful for the scars. And there's a quote from C.S. Lewis that says that heaven once attained will work backwards and turn even the greatest agony into a glory. And for a long time, I felt a lot of shame. Like, why did this have to happen to me? Why did I do this? But this was given to me. Like it says, Christ gives us weaknesses. It was given to me. We wouldn't have the relationship we have today if I didn't go through this journey. Yeah, totally. And and if he didn't have those scars. Right. And I want to thank you guys for coming on. Jocelyn, thank you for coming on and sharing some of your scars. And Devin, thank you as well. Thanks for having us. And so we invite you to join us, um, getting some of the bonus content to ask some additional questions, cover parts of the story we weren't able to cover here. Um, let them soapbox on some th- soapbox on some things. Um, we're actually just sitting here um, with with Jaron, the general, and he's like, "Man, everyone needs the bonus content. It's the best stuff." And the truth is that it is. So we invite you to join us there, and um, that's a access to, for our outsiders. And so our outsiders are bold, accepted, and unashamed. And so go to unashamedunafraid.com/slash/donate. Whatever you need to do, donate a dollar so you can get to the content. We would love for you to join us in that. Um, and so until we're able to meet with you again, if you're not joining us there, I invite you to go to iTunes and give us five stars. That's how the world uh, rates and finds us and puts us in the search bar. And if there's anything we can do for you, reach out to us. would love for you to be part of this movement of Unashamed, of sharing your story, needing a scholarship, whatever it is, uh, unashamedunafraid.com, social media at unashamedunafraid. And until then, we will leave you with also one of my favorite songs, um, Scars by I Am They. 
Oh, boy. 